Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 20 and 25 Detroit Pistons. Uh, ben, Justin Lembrexi, and I talk about the approach of Kyrie Thomas' season, how aggressive Luke Kennard has been lately, and compare Andre Drummond to the Detroit Lions' Matthew Stafford, interestingly enough. Uh, as always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to actually read your feedback and build the podcast uh, according to what you guys are talking about. In order to do that, though, you have to be following DetroitBadBoys.com, which is something you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson. I'm pleased to be back. Uh, I'm also pleased to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how are you doing? Laz, I'm doing a lot better now that you're back, buddy. Uh, welcome back. It's good to have you. Good to be talking some Pistons. Yeah, it's good, it's good to be back, Ben. It's also good to be joined by uh, DBB's own Justin Lambrexi. Justin, uh, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, it's great to be on the podcast. Uh, I'm busy the last few like few months so i haven't been able to be very active but it's good to finally have a chance to join you guys on here yeah it's it's uh it's good to have you guys i wish we had better news to talk about (laughs) so the pistons are five games under 500 uh they're two games out of the eight seed really they're three games out of the eight seed because they already have lost the tiebreaker to charlotte Uh, however charlotte is currently down can I count? They're currently down uh, 15 points to the Indianapolis Pacers right now. And so we'll call that uh, a game and a half um, after being really bad for all of December and most of January. Um, they've got Ish Smith back. They got Zaza Pachulia back. They've won three out of their last five games. And the two games that they did not win, they essentially lost down the stretch. Um, Andre got his nose busted against Miami. Uh, Ish got re-injured uh, against against Miami in that same game. So uh, against Sacramento, there was. Uh, all right, I'm going to rewind. I'm I'm rusty. You guys are going to have to bear with me. <laughs> so there was a bit of a brouhaha like over the holiday season about what the Pistons should do regarding Andre Drummond, whether or not he should uh, he should be traded. Uh, Steve Henson wrote a really good article for us at Detroit Bad Boys. I encourage you to check that out about what uh, what the team would look like if Andre Drummond weren't on it, essentially. Um, and for the last two nights against Miami and against Sacramento, we've gotten a good look at what an Andre Drummond-less Pistons team would look like. And they've looked fine, I guess. One win, one loss against teams that uh, aren't, you know, so much better than them talent-wise. Uh, ben, what's, what's your impression, Ben, of the Andre Drummond-less Pistons? Yeah, first of all, just a quick preface. I mean, two games is two games. Can't learn a whole lot from two games. But uh, we're fans. We speculate no matter how small the sample size is. So, um, you know, a couple things. I think, first of all, if you jump a little bit farther backwards than the most recent two, um, 
Andre Drummond against the Orlando Magic was just absolutely dominant on the boards. And on Twitter, I was pretty active, sort of defending Drummond, I guess, uh, because I felt like his dominance on the glass had a whole lot to do with them winning that game. So, you know, the last two games, yes, you can say they they played competitively without Dre, but, you know, you can certainly point to games of the season where had Andre Drummond not doing not been doing what he does, they wouldn't have been competitive. Um, one thing about the Sacramento game, there was a, a key key play late in the fourth quarter down the stretch. They gave up a key offensive rebound. Andre Drummond is in the game. You know, I don't I don't think they give that up. Dre is pretty much a monster, especially in crutch time. You've also had a couple guys step up sort of unexpectedly. Bruce Brown contributing 10 rebounds in one game. So I was out with 12. But, but how reliable is that long term, right? I mean, a guy like Dre goes out for a little bit and guys are motivated to step up and clean the glass a little bit in his short-term absence. Not sure how sustainable that is long-term. And then the last thing I'll say is last two games, they split one and one. In both games, they've been right up around that 35% from deep um, mark, which is kind of my flashpoint for this team. When they shoot the ball that well, they're competitive. And I've kind of beaten that horse to death, so I won't talk about it too much more. But but all that to say, with or without they, Andre Drummond, if they shoot the ball well, and if they shoot the ball as well as they have the last two games, they can still put up a fight, even if they're not as dominant on the glass. So yes, over two games, they've been competitive. I'm skeptical if that's long-term, uh, if there's long-term viability there. Um, and shooting the ball still, to me, is their most important part. That makes a lot of sense, Ben. Uh, Justin, what were uh, your thoughts on how the the Pistons looked without Andre? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of hard to, like, make any definitive judgments because, I mean, in the event the Pistons move on from Andre and he's not here, they're not going to have Zaza Pachulia as the starting center. Like, they're going to find some kind of more viable replacement. So, I mean, I think, I guess it kind of was encouraging because I'm so down on the rest of this roster that just being able to see them at least play well against a couple of decent teams without... I mean, as much as I, I've pretty much made it clear that I'm kind of off the Andre Drummond train, but he is their second best player at this point. So like being able to be competitive against two pretty good teams without your second best player, it's tough for any team to do that. And I just, I mean, they have to play a lot better than I thought. I just, yeah, I mean, it's just hard to make a judgment after like two games, like Ben said. Like there's only so much you can judge, especially with one being two games and two having Zaza Pachulia starting. Yeah, I think that that's definitely fair. I, that, there is something to that, right? Like if they traded Andre, they would try and get, I assume that they would try and get another center back so that Zaza wouldn't be starting. And so you're kind of reliant on the talent level and the skill set of whoever that person is when you're thinking about like what the Pistons would look like without Andre. But even if you just have someone with a similar skill set than him that's just less talented, I think that... um that you you miss things on the margin like like Ben was talking about with the offensive rebound uh, key against Sacramento you, you you there are things you lose when you don't have a guy that's as talented as Andre is and i think we don't we take that for granted a little bit just because we're so used to the totality of the Andre Drummond experience right like you don't get that often offensive rebounded but you also don't get like him trying to push the ball past half court or you don't get um him trying to go coast to coast and transition, right? Like, and so there, there are positives and negatives to, to being a team that doesn't have Andre Drummond. But uh, I think we sometimes we, we, we've, we've seen Andre so much. It's so easy to uh, overlook 
his strengths and like key up his weaknesses just because they're so apparent to us. Uh, Andre should he shouldn't be the second best player on on eight on any team. Um, it's pretty clear that like unless you're uh, like a a much better, much more dynamic offensive player than Andre ever will be, like a, and you're a big like you shouldn't be the second best team player on on any team. And so in in today's NBA. And so like that's that's the trouble that I get into a lot of the time with Andre. Like he's just he's overcast uh right now and he's overmatched. Um but uh another point that Ben brought up was the shooting. Um I think that Andre's gravity uh creates a lot of open shots for guys. Uh I think there there were some uh there were some Twitter pictures about how uh especially like Vucevic trying to seal Andre on the offensive glass, like just gave Blake like wide open layups uh, after he beaten whoever he was posting against. And so uh, there's something, something to that as well. But one guy who I think has been key in shooting over the last couple of games has been Luke Kennard. Um, Luke got called out in the national media. He got uh he had a little bit of a called out by Zach Lowe in Zach Lowe's 10 things. Um, he got called out a little bit by uh, Michael Pena in uh, his outlet pass at Vice Sports. Um, and it seems that he's responded by kind of being the player I always hoped he would be, just more aggressive, um, looking for his shot in not just uh, off screens and everything, but like with the ball in his hands, making plays. Um, Justin, do you think this this more aggressive form of Luke is the Luke that we're going to get for the rest of this year? Or do you think this is just like a flash in the pan for like five or so games? See, I, I want to say that it is, but I mean, he ended last season very similar. Like the last like ten games, he averaged like sixteen points per game, and like basically the same kind of shooting he's doing now. And then he came into this year, and I mean, obviously he's been hurt most of the year, which kind of has changed a little bit. But like, he still he didn't start this year off great, and then he got hurt. So it's just hard to trust him right now. Like, this very well could just be a th- hot three or four game stretch. But I mean, it is encouraging watching him because. My biggest issue with him, and obviously everyone's issue with him, is that he's just not aggressive at all. And you've seen the last three, four games where he's actually, I mean, he's hes pretty much second on the team in shot attempts. I think the last two games he's been second on the team in shot attempts behind Blake Griffin. So, like, I mean, and before that, you never saw that. So I think that's kind of encouraging. Uh, I'm not really sure, like, if something's clicked in his head where he's realized that he's capable of doing that and that he should be doing that to make this team the best they possibly can be, or if he's just getting a good matchup where he's just being able to take advantage. But yeah, I mean, I want to say that this we'll see this loop kind of rest of the season, but until I get a little bit more of a sample of him doing this, I have a tough time saying that definitively that we are going to. Yeah. Ben, uh, what have, what have you thought of the new Luke Kennard? Oh, I've loved it. You know, he did get called in the national media. If, if I had to guess though, I'd say that the, the little outburst he had on the sidelines probably did something to spark a little bit of a larger conversation with the coaching staff. And that probably has a whole lot more to do with anything than, you know, getting called out in the media, because what we've seen, as you pointed out last is an aggressiveness and especially with the ball, right? So not just off the ball movement, which he's known for, but with the ball in his hands um, and doing really nice stuff with the basketball in his hands. He's done a really fantastic job. You know, Luke's not super quick, right? He's not going to blow by you but he's very good at changing speeds and he, he's good at sort of lulling his guy to sleep, getting one or one and a half steps. And then he gets the defender on his back hip and just kind of slows down. Right. So he's gotten to the line a few times. Uh, he's been able to finish as a result of, 
you know, getting his defender behind him and then then getting to the bucket. He's finished with both hands in the paint, which has been interesting. We didn't really see any of that during his rookie season. And then, of course, there's the shooting. So here's what I think is sustainable. I think that style of play is absolutely sustainable. I don't know if he's going to continue to be the second leading uh, guy in terms of shot attempts when, uh, you know, the roster is fully doing and fully clicking what, what they want it to do. But I think the interesting thing is the type of basketball that he's playing with the basketball in his hands is absolutely compatible with Blake Griffin and a healthy Andre Drummond on the floor. So I think it'll be interesting to see if Luke continues to play this way, does he get into the starting lineup? And what would that mean for something like Andre Drummond's shot attempts, which has just sort of been the consternation around Andre, whether you love him or not, he shoots the ball too much. Well, a guy like Luke Kennard in this, in the context of this roster, shooting the ball and shooting the ball well could actually take the ball out of Andre's hands a little bit. And I think that would be a very good thing for the offense. And Ben, you, you've talked about Luke as a passer as well, passing being one of his underrated skills. And if he, ends up operating in the pick and roll with Andre more often, you know, like there's the opportunity for dump offs. There's the opportunity to uh, like draw two defenders and, you know, throw Andre lobs. Uh, there's the opportunity for uh, Andre to get easy baskets that uh, might, in my mind, like cut down on some of the mental things that Andre goes through. Uh, when, when you get Andre something easy, he doesn't feel like he has to do anything hard, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. And so one of the things this season that I think has drawn ire, and I think rightfully so, is the uptick in Andre's shot attempts. And, you know, in a vacuum, the, those 14 shot attempts a game are just completely indefensible. When, but when you look at the the lineups he's been playing with, when you've got Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, you know, Ishmith, Bruce Brown, and Stanley Johnson on the floor together, Andre Drummond being the second guy isn't actually terrible in that context, even though it's absolutely terrible in a vacuum. So what I would really like to see is, you know, Dre in lineups where he's really the fourth guy, right? He's the fourth option. Let him get the garbage buckets. Let him get some lobs. And I think you're right. Maybe that motivates him to stay away from those uh, feelings where he feels like he needs to force something, right? To assert his, his will offensively or something like that. Yeah. So against Sacramento, Blake had 23 field goal attempts, uh, Next was Red, oh, Reggie and Reggie Bullock and Luke were tied with uh, with twelve shot attempts, and uh, after that it was it was John Luer and Zaza with seven uh, field goal attempts, and so and then after that it was Kyrie Thomas actually. Oh yeah, that's right. That's something that we should get to. Uh, so Justin Kyrie played fourteen minutes against Sacramento. Uh, the Dwayne Casey has talked about. Um, ways to kind of get him in the rotation. Uh, I think that now that he's like more fully healthy and he's, I assume he's like impressed the coaching staff and practice and everything. Um, it looks like Kyrie has for one game, at least overtaken uh, Langston Galloway in the rotation. Langston got the DNPCD and uh, Kyrie got all the minutes. Um, do you think that's deserved? Do you think that uh, the way Kyrie has played like in his short minutes, is uh is deserving of uh, a further look in the rotation over a guy like Langston Galloway. See, I, I think it's more of like an indictment on Langston Galloway than on Kyrie Thomas. Like, I mean, he's, Galloway started off really well. I mean, basically, it's the same story as last season. Like, he started off pretty well. Now he just fell off a cliff, like he did last season. Like, I don't. I mean, I, I get Kyrie Thomas is like a second round pick rookie, so there's gonna be some, you know, some bumps and stuff. But like. 
honestly, I've never been all that impressed with him, like, watching him play. Like, he just looks lost out there. Like, he kind of just wanders around. I mean, he's a good shooter, but, like, other than that, I just don't – I don't see a whole lot that he brings to the table outside of, I mean, hitting threes in a small sample size. Like, I mean, I think it's worth more of a look just because of how bad Langston's been the last few games. Like, I mean, and I just don't really see that changing anytime soon. So, I mean, I think it's worth a look, especially with how the team's not playing well. And this is the, the perfect time to try to get some, like, Thomas some minutes. But, like, yeah, I think the whole – Kyrie Thomas over Langston Galloway is more of a product of Galloway playing bad than Kyrie Thomas actually, like, just blowing him out of the water. No, yeah, that makes sense. Ben, do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I mostly do. Langston posted the double donuts, right? I mean, he had uh, he was over against the Clips and over against the Heat. We can't afford that out of our shooting guards. Um, and, and that's Langston's downside. He is super streaky. When he's hot, he's great. When he's not, he, he's really bad. It's, it's feast and famine. Um, you know, Kyrie, I, I, I'm probably like what I've just seen with my eyeballs a little better than Justin. I, he certainly has gotten lost in particular defensively. He missed, you know, two plays in a row uh, against the Kings where, you know, it led to a, a bucket and then some free throw attempts. Um, but man, if he can shoot the ball at 35 to 40%, like if that's realistic, right? All he's got to do is stand there and shoot threes in the corner. He's going to find an NBA career. So, um, you know, they've been willing to deal with some of Bruce Brown's shortcomings offensively. Uh, in favor of good defense. Maybe they'll give Thomas a look here, a little bit of a defensive shortcoming, but some potential on offense. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is Langston Galloway's inconsistency. I'm more with uh, Justin. Langston has been killing the Pistons very quietly. His three-point percentage by month. So in October, Langston shot 14% from three. I think that was only six games, but still 14%. It's not great. November, he shot 41% from three. Like, that's great. We could use that. December is down to 31% from three. That's bad. Like, for an entire month, that's bad. And in January, he shot 37% from three. Uh, so, I was like, that's, you know, that's good that we can use that. But if you if you can't rely on him on a month-by-month basis, uh, I and for a team that struggles offensively as much as this Pistons team does, I think you, you have to go with an option that's more... Uh, consistent and that appears to be Kyrie Thomas uh, for now I will say another element that Kyrie adds is size I think he's he's 6'5 uh, Langston's only 6'2 and so like that adds another element of being able to guard wings or uh, you don't have to hide him as much defensively uh, you you do will run into stuff like Justin was talking about where he won't uh, rotate properly or he'll he'll leave guys open because he's a rookie and because he's inexperienced. But uh, he, he also was like, he was all big. Uh, he was all conference uh, defensive team in college. Um, he's a good like on ball defender. Like that's what he was known for. And so I think as you get him more of those reps, you'll see him become better uh, on that end. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to what Kyrie Thomas has got. Um, I will, this is not something that I found myself saying earlier this year, just because like I I, I wasn't sure if he if he had it in him. But uh, now it's like the the options we have on the team are extremely limited, and so uh, it's not always great that like your two second round picks are both playing like fifteen minutes a night over the guys you signed in free agency a couple of years ago. But uh, it's you at this point we are fully on board with doing what works, and it appears that. 
uh, Kyrie Thomas works for for the Pistons. And it might be interesting to see if his size equips him to play spot minutes at backup small forward too, because that's a gaping hole on the Pistons roster right now. Yeah, or enables uh, like three guard lineups with like a point guard and him and Luke, right? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds super interesting to me. Yeah. So speaking of the point guard situation, uh, Ish Smith is, I think, the official de- diagnosis is day to day with a the tweak of the groin injury that kept him out for like 15 plus games uh, in December. Um, the Pistons signed two separate uh, two way contracts to uh, with point guards. They signed uh, Isaiah Whitehead, a G League uh, scorer from uh, from Long Island. And uh, MSU zone Kalen Lucas, a guy I have very fond memories of, but like all those memories are nine or ten years old, and so I don't quite know uh, how much uh, he still has left in the tank. But uh, it, and they do that in anticipation, I guess, because we've seen and we've talked about in the past how how bad Jose Calderon has been uh, for this team. Uh, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but uh, one of the DBB users, uh, Crosside, shout out to Crosside. Um, he like took a look at the true shooting percentage of the individual players uh, on the bench unit um, when Calderon was, was on the court and when Calderon was off the court. And, and across the board, um, Calderon being on the court just lowered the true shooting percentage of everybody else on the bench, which is kind of like the opposite of what you're, you want your backup point guard to do. And so I am curious to see if we get a look at any of these two, two-way guys um, Whitehead or Lucas in in uh, in between now and if we get any uh, any extra information about uh, Ish's groin, uh, Justin, do you think either Whitehead or Kalen Lucas have the potential to to help the Pistons in the next couple of weeks? Um, I'd probably lean more towards saying Whitehead. I mean, I'm still kind of confused by the Kalen Lucas signing. Like, the, I think well, he's like 29 years old at this point, and he really hasn't ever stuck in the NBA anywhere. So I, I just don't really understand the point of that signing. Like, I mean, I I guess, I mean, two-way contracts are necessary for, like, all developmental players. But, like, I feel like someone with a little bit more upside would be more worthy of that slot than Kalen Lucas. And, like, I mean, like I was saying, he's bounced around. Like, he's been in Europe. He's been in the G League. Like, I just don't really see enough upside in him to even be worth a two-way contract. But I, I'd be definitely down to see Isaiah Whitehead get a look. I mean, if I remember correctly, he was pretty solid as a rookie with the Nets, and then I think he just kind of got. See, I think he got hurt, or he got he got cut because of the, the like the roster. Not, for some reason, why he got cut, and he's pretty solid as a rookie. I think he'd be worth a look. But yeah, honestly, I as much of a, of a probably a fan favorite, Kalen Lucas would be. I don't really understand the point of that signing, and I don't see enough upside of him to even be worth a look. But I definitely see enough upside. Isaiah Whitehead to at least give him a look and see what he can do. Yeah, Ben, what what do you think about both of the two-way guys? Yeah, I mean, I don't have strong feelings about either of these guys. I mean, like you, Laz, I barely remember Kalen Lucas. It's been like nine years, as you said. But look, for either of these guys, as bad as Jose Calderon has been, if if they can't beat out Jose Calderon for minutes, then uh, they're probably not going to stick in the NBA anywhere because this, this would be the absolute perfect opportunity for someone to bust on the scene in a sort of 10-day or two-way contract and – and make a, a niche for him himself as a third point guard. Um, so yeah, hopefully one of them gets a chance. It's hard to imagine they would be worse than Jose Calderon, Jose Calderon at this point. Uh, I think 
I, I definitely am more curious about uh, Whitehead than Lucas. Um, Kalen Lucas seems like the quintessential like uh, quadruple A point guard. Just uh, and like that's not. And Whitehead has has proven himself to at least be a a scoring threat both at the NBA and the G League level. And so like I'm just more interested in that guy. I'm also curious as to why they signed Kalen Lucas, especially since um, since we've seen like Andre got hurt, Zaza got hurt. And Johnny Hamilton has been killing it for the drive, and the Pistons uh, could use another big man to play on the roster. I was surprised that he did not receive one of the other uh, two-way contracts that the Pistons signed, and so um, and that leaves them kind of without much depth at at big with without an Andre or a Zaza, which is what we've seen from this team pretty much for like the last uh, 20 games or so one of Andre or Zaza is missing. Um, and so I was curious about that. They'd also like, don't have a, an open roster spot to like sign uh, anyone to like a 10 day contract to, to play in their absence. And so I was like, well, it, it made a lot of sense to me to give Johnny Hamilton uh, a two way deal and kind of shuffle him back and forth, especially since I don't think he would ever hit, the full uh, forty-five day cutoff that it, uh, you require from a from a two-way guy. Yeah, also like going off. Yeah, also going off that. Like, I mean, the Pistons are also already really guard-heavy on the roster. I mean, they don't have any very many good guards, but they are guard-heavy. So, yeah, it would make sense to. And I liked what I saw at Hamilton during the preseason, and he's. I know he's been killing in the G League this year, and I, think that, I agree with that. I think it would have been a lot smarter to sign someone like that, or at least some kind of big man to kind of balance out your two-way slots. So you have one backcourt, one front court, but yeah, like, like the Kalen Lucas thing is just, yeah, it's, it's still, I'm still confused by that. Yeah. So that, that, that little bit of transaction minutia kind of brings us to the, the trade deadline, which is only two and a half weeks away, give or take. Um, what, uh, Justin, what, what minor deal would you like to see the Pistons try and make before the deadline? So I'm I'm defining minor as not trading one of Reggie Jackson, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond, or their their first round pick. Um, I'll I'm gonna lay out why. I, no one wants Reggie Jackson, and so that's why you can't trade him. Um, you Blake Griffin's your best player, so that's why you're not trading him. And it appears that for the moment they want to see how Andre Drummond uh, still like interacts with Blake Griffin and plays with Blake Griffin for a full season, and so like that that is why. Uh, I will say don't trade him. Um, and as far as the first round pick goes, like that's something that I don't think that they should do. But uh, that if they were going to do that, that deserves a longer and more full discussion than uh, than we we got time for right now. But uh, what, what's what's your minor move uh, for the Pistons in uh, under that criteria? Uh, I know a lot of people go to this route, and it, I mean it's something I still really like. But I someone like Anthony Tolliver, I mean he's basically out of rotation in minnesota at this point so i think i mean actually i haven't seen how he's been playing with uh since tibbs has been fired but i'm assuming he's still out of rotation i think he'd be someone that would be acquirable not for a huge price the only issue is getting a contract to match because he is getting paid a decent sum um maybe something like a wayne ellington too from miami because i know he's out of their rotation as well just somebody that you can bring in off the bench that's a reliable shooter because there aren't very many of those on this roster and I think either either those players, I don't think they have a huge like a huge price tag. I think Ellington might have a little bit more because I think he at least has had a role with Miami. I think they 
might be trying to find a role for him or something. But yeah, like something like that. I mean, I don't think it's, it's going to be enough to put this team in any better shape than they are. I, I think the whole roster just needs overhaul. And I'm, I'm, I'm more for making a bigger move, like just throw everything on the table and try to like first round pick everything and try to make a bigger move like that. But yeah, for just looking at smaller moves, I'd say something like Anthony Tolliver or Ellington. Another player, maybe like a Courtney Lee from New York. But again, you have the same issue with contracts that making that match. And they're not, I mean, you could try to get something like John Lewer in the deal, but they're not going to go for John Lewer plus some other like random prospect that the Pistons don't have. So yeah, I think there's just, there's just not, it's so hard to come up with like smaller deals for this team, just how little assets they have and how bad their cap situation looks. It's just, it's just very, very difficult to do. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't disagree with you, Justin. It is pretty difficult. Uh, Ben, well, do you have any ideas on that front? I wish I did. I agree with you, Laz. It's hard to even come up with. You can play around on the trade machine for an hour, and it's it's difficult. It's frustratingly difficult to find something that makes sense uh, for the trade partner, right? You can target any of these guys like Justin did or uh, any of the other guys in the NBA who can make threes and are somehow out of the rotation in a different NBA franchise. Uh, You know, but for me, Literally anything of value you could get for Ish Smith, Stanley Johnson, Langston Galloway, or John Luer should be worth considering. Um, I would be hesitant to trade Ish if the Pistons were in a friendlier position relative to the playoff race. Um, but, you know, he, he's going to be gone most likely in a year anyway, so I would say if you could get anything for him. We've talked Stanley Johnson to death. We all know why we would want him uh, to be traded for anything of value. Uh, and similarly for Langston Galloway, um, John Moore is the only guy who I would maybe not think about trading and, and try to play him up a little bit so that he's more attractive this summer. He's actually had some good minutes here and there mixed in with some bad minutes too. But uh, he's a guy who, if he can round into form as sort of a stretch big, uh, unfortunately he's never really done that in Detroit consistently, but if he could, he's the kind of guy who might be able to bring you some talent back in return. Because uh, his contract is going to be about $9,700,000, something like that, going into next season. Um, but it's tough. The Pistons have a really nasty uh, cap profile. They don't have very many good, friendly contracts that they'd want to move. Um, so th- those minor deals are pretty hard to come up with. Laz, what do you got for us? I've been I've been going through a couple permutations of like what you could get for Stanley Johnson. And they're... they're it, it's really dependent on how other teams are viewing him. If they're viewing him as uh, still like a, a second draft guy, a guy with a lot of potential who will be better once he leaves the, the Pistons uh, situation, I think there uh, you could get something of value for him maybe. Um, there's a, a deal I like that I've been thinking about. Stanley for, uh, I think it's Caleb Swanigan and Jake Lehman from uh, Portland. Lehman is essentially just like a really low usage, high efficiency wing who can make threes and has like a, a little bit more athleticism than you think. And so uh, he's he's slowly like worked his way into the rotation in Portland. You know, he's, I think he's playing like 15 or so minutes off the bench for them. Um, Stanley offers Portland like a little bit more size and a little bit more defensive potential than than layman does which is why i think they might be interested they they need a guy who can defend larger wings 
uh, in order to kind of succeed moving forward. So like, that's why I think they would be interested. Uh, we had the Damian Dotson rumor from the Knicks earlier this season. Um, that's something that I would be interested in. He makes, I think the, the minimum. And so like you could, if you could persuade like, Hey, New York, we'll give you like a top 40 protected 2024 pick and Jose Calderon for like this guy who you're not going to resign anyway, because you want cap space is like, uh, maybe you could work something like that. Um, Courtney Lee, the name Justin brought up is a good one. I think, uh, any deal with him, you probably like work your way into the luxury tax so that I don't think, I don't think Gores wants to pay the luxury tax. And I don't know if Courtney Lee is a guy worth paying the luxury tax for, but if you could work something out with New York where it's like, Hey, we'll give you John Luer who makes less money than Courtney Lee, um, for the, for the same amount of time. So that'll help with your cap space. Um, and Lee can actually like contribute for us. I think something like that would be good. Or uh, and for Ish, there are you know the, you could trade like Ish and something else for like uh, a Corey Joseph or something. Maybe Indiana has a lot of point guards. Justin Holiday is uh, is no longer like getting t- or no not Justin Aaron Aaron Holiday. So many Holiday brothers. Uh, Aaron Holiday is like no longer getting minutes for them, but he was playing really well. And I think they would like to see what they have in him. And so like maybe, and I, and a guy like Corey Joseph, I think is expiring this off season. So, uh, and he'd be more, um, he'd offers more defensively than, than Ish does. And so I think there are, there are small tweaks that, that you could make on the, on the outside to kind of get this roster in a better place. But I think uh, what, what Justin was saying and what, what Ben, what you guys are saying is that, um, you know, wholesale changes are what is going to really like drive this roster forward. Unfortunately, they've, they've worked themselves into a spot where it's really difficult to make wholesale changes. And so I'm still of the mind that we see something minor before the trade deadline. Um, Like it's, it's pretty well known that Tom Gore is just like wants to make the playoffs at all costs. And so, uh, and it does not look like this, this team as currently constructed is going to do so. And so, like, I think you you got to make a change on that front. Um, so yeah, I'm just I'm just I I keep I'm on the trade hour I'm on the trade machine for hours. Like like Ben said, trying to find ways to to make this team better on the margins. And uh, I'll I'll let you guys know if if I find anything. But uh, before that playoff push, I think there there are some other factors that uh, make it a little bit more feasible for the Pistons, uh, according to Tankathon.com. Detroit has the sixth easiest schedule in the league uh, left. So uh, that, that's that knowledge um, alongside the, the Pistons uh, not being in playoff position right now has kind of opened up the, like, what's the point of going for the eight seed uh, just tank or like, no, there's inherent value in, in going for the playoffs. Uh, we should, we should try and do that. This roster is too good to not make the playoffs, et cetera. So Ben, where where do you fall on uh, whether we should just uh, push for the playoffs, do do things in order to do that, or just kind of keep losing, tank, make the draft pick as good as possible? So I'm almost never for tanking unless it's done in like a really specific way that I, I just don't see the Pistons doing this year. Steve Henson had a piece about this. I think it was this week. It might have been last weekend about why the Pistons shouldn't tank. I, I mostly co-sign with that, so go read it. Uh, if you haven't, even though he and I disagree about Andre Drummond, we're pretty much in agreement there. Um, the other thing I would say is I think this roster is probably just good enough 
that the accidental tank won't happen. Um, if Luke Kennard and Reggie Bullock stay healthy and are both playing well, they're they're going to have enough offensive firepower that they didn't have over the first 25 or 27 games that they'll probably, you know, get three or four games under 500 if they don't make any any deals at, at the deadline. So, you know, that kind of puts you around the 13th, 14th pick, and that's, that's pretty gross. But uh, I, I just don't see this team, you know, shutting down Blake Griffin and shutting down Andre Drummond and, and going for the tank that just – it doesn't seem like – something you do right after you go out and get Blake Griffin, right? It just doesn't uh, blend with the philosophy um, that, that they've had up to this point. It also seems kind of silly to fire Stan Van Gundy, bring in the former coach of the year and then tank. It just doesn't seem like that would be something that's on the radar. Um, what, I, what I really hope they don't do though, regardless of, you know, tanking or not tanking is try to trade for a whole bunch of cap room. Um, you know, one of the, the trade rumblings was, you know, trying to trade Andre Drummond for cap room. Uh, first reason is they, they have to clear a whole lot of money to make them enough, um, enough of a splash for an agency to make it worth it. Even if you traded Andre Drummond for all expiring contracts, you get, you know, 22 to 25 million to play with. The problem I have with that is even though it sounds like a whole lot of money, think about what the Pistons have been able to acquire for that amount of money over the past several years. John Luer, roughly $10 million a season. Langston Galloway, roughly $7 million a season. You know, another John Luer and another Langston Galloway and one more mid-level guy don't move the needle for this team. They need more than that in order to make a difference. So um, they're going to have to be super creative in terms of trading um, the players that they have for talent. And they, they really need to draft well this year. Um, so I, I don't want to see them trade the draft pick. They, they really need to hit in the draft. So I just don't think Detroit's a free, free agent destination. I don't think they need to have a fire sale and hoard up cap room. I really think they need to be patient. Going into this summer, if you look at their contract profile, yes, it is ugly. But they have several guys who will be going into the final year of their deals. You've got Reggie Jackson. You've got John Luer. You've got Langston Galloway. Uh, all three of those guys going into the final year of their deals. You've got Ish Smith coming off the books, and you've also got Glenn Robinson on the final, going into the final year of his deal. Uh, and then Stanley Johnson, of course, coming off the books as well. So to me, I would be patient. I, I wouldn't do anything rash at the trade deadline, you know, to try to make a push for the eight seed where you're probably just going to get swept anyways. Uh, I would wait to see if Reggie Jackson continues to shoot the ball well, to see if John Luer can do anything in limited minutes that might make them um, somewhat worthwhile in the trade market this summer. That's how I would approach it. Justin, uh, what's your approach moving forward for uh, for Detroit? Tank or uh, try to make the playoffs? Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of in the try to make the playoffs boat. Like, um, maybe just because of Blake Griffin. Uh, I I posted this question on Twitter after the Sacramento game, I think it was more of just kind of like a tongue in cheek, just like thought exercise. I don't think, I don't think I really believe it that much, but like I said, if you take Blake Griffin off his roster, is there a worse roster in the NBA than what the Pistons have? And I mean, I, I think there's, there's arguments to be made about other teams rosters. Like there's teams like Atlanta and Phoenix, the Cavs that have very, very bad rosters, but like they just, the main purpose behind it is just to show like this team can't be bad enough with Blake Griffin on the roster to even try to tank. Like, the, ro- the supporting cast is bad, and I'm very, very low on it. And I think they could tank if they didn't have Blake Griffin and be right up there competing for a top-five pick, but they have Blake Griffin. And 
Blake Griffin's not going anywhere at this point. So your best bet is just to try to go for it. Um, like, in, I mean, people, people are going to oh, you, you can tell Blake Griffin just to sit out the rest of the season for a high pick. But at this point, you can't really do that because the Pistons have won too many games. They're already behind the eight ball when it comes to, you know, trying to out-tank the other teams that are tanking. So I, I think their best bet is just to go for it. Um, I'm probably one of the only people that feel this way, but I'm all for just going for it and throwing all the cards on the table and trying to get an impact player. Because uh, even though it's new management, I still don't trust this team to draft. I know Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas look like solid picks, but there's just something about this team where I think they're just cursed when it comes to who they draft. Where, like, even if they had a high pick and they drafted the sure thing player, somehow it ended up not working out. So that's why I'm, I'm all for just going for it, doing whatever is necessary to try and make the playoffs. And also, I'm just tired of not watching this team in the playoffs, even if it's as an eight seed and they're losing. Like, we've watched this team be bad for, what, 10, 11 years now? They've made the playoffs once. And you're telling me I'm gonna have, now going to sit through three or four years of tanking for, for this team to finally become, maybe be competitive if they hit on all their picks? Like, I just, I'm, I'm all for at this point just going for it um, and just seeing what happens. Uh, you have Blake Griffin now. This is the youngest he's ever going to be and probably the best he's ever going to be before he inevitably starts to decline towards the end of his contract. So, I mean, do everything in your power to try to get in, even if it, I mean, it's probably reckless to just surrender assets and stuff like that, but I think they, that's what they need to do and just try to make it in. Like you said, the schedule is the sixth easiest in the league, so the schedule's easy, and team will never be bad enough with Blake Griffin, so I think they just need to go for it. No, I mean, I'm I'm right there with you, Justin. Uh, this this team is bad, but like if you look, like Charlotte is also it's like if you took Kemba off of Charlotte, like they would be in the same position where like that would be one of the worst rosters in the league, and so you you've already won too many games. You you did not come into the season with the plan of tanking, and so just because you've uh, traded or just because you've lost a bunch of games already does not mean that like the plan for the season has changed right the plan for the season is supposed to be just that and so uh like yeah i'm not i wouldn't surrender the first round pick just because like you're going to need that in the next like two or three years like after the contracts of reggie jackson and uh langston galloway and john lure have expired you're going to need whoever that player is to to hopefully develop and make an improvement um i am a little bit I don't think they're I don't think they're cursed per se. I think it's very difficult to uh, draft players and uh, develop them. Otherwise, if it were really easy, every team would develop all of their draft picks perfectly, and you know, like that would all everyone would all be good. And so, uh, I think there there's definitely like an element of talent evaluation and scouting and professional development that uh, the Pistons uh, don't have my full confidence in. I like what they're doing so far with Bruce Brown. I like what they're doing so far with Kyrie Thomas. Um, I like now that Luke Kennard is playing, has played more aggressively. Um, I like enabling him to do that. And I hope that continues. Um, Stanley Johnson appears to just kind of be uh, a guy who needs a, a divorce from the Pistons and uh, Henry Ellenson. Just uh, I'm less enamored with Henry Ellenson's like potential than, than others may or may not be. And so, like, I think there is some reason to be hopeful that um, if the Pistons were able to get 
it, they if they got the the you know they miss the playoffs and get the twelfth pick or they make the playoffs and get like the fifteenth pick or whatever that you could still get a a guy who is going to come in and um, be developed into a rotation contributor right away and so like that in and of itself I think is reason uh, not to tank the other reason not to tank is that this draft is not particularly great there is uh there's one very clear best player and the pistons are not going to get the number one pick it's there's statistically very unlikely that the pistons are going to get the number one pick and so uh you you can't get that player and so after that there are a bunch of guys who have talent but have question marks and so i think in a draft like this there is just as good a chance you get uh, a player you like or a player that you can uh, develop into something at, you know, at 14 or 15 or 16, than there is at, you know, eight or nine. It just, uh, it just really depends on how you develop the player you draft less so than uh, the quality of talent available at the top of the draft uh, in this particular draft, if, if that makes any sense. All right, so that was that was me just like rambling on for a couple minutes. Uh, we've hit, uh, we're, we're closing in on forty five minutes. Uh, Justin, is there anything you specifically want to talk about before we uh, before we take off here? I don't know. Um, I guess kind of like I tweeted this out the other day, where like I basically said along the lines of, uh, I don't really mind if you still support Andre Drummond and still like him as a player, but like I'm basically off the Andre Drummond boat. I I could care less if we trade him and he ends up becoming a star like and i was kind of thinking of like of like a comparison for that in my mind i kind of came up with one where it's i think it's a lot like how i've gone with Andre Drummond, how a lot of lions fans are with matthew stafford where it's like personally i still like matthew stafford as a quarterback i think he's, he's not the issue with the lions and a lot of people feel that with about the Andre Drummond with the pistons and i'm i just think it's kind of like just roster fatigue at some point He's got like Matthew Stafford's been with the Lions for ten years. Drummond's been here for seven seven years now. It's like when the team doesn't have a lot of success, even with those players playing as well as they have, which both players have played well. They made Pro Bowls, All Stars, all that stuff. It just comes a point where you just get tired of having them around, and that's kind of where I've gotten with Andre Drummond. Um, like I know a lot of people still think he's a part of the solution, not part of the problem, but I've kind of not in that mindset anymore, and it's kind of sucks for me as a fan because like. I love Andre Drummond. I have his jersey. He's a player I've really grown to. I grew to like his first few years, but like just kind of the stagnation of the team and the stagnation of him as a player in some ways just kind of has made me kind of jump off the Andre Drummond wagon. And I think he's still a player that could be useful to some teams. I just feel like he's kind of run his course in Detroit, and I just feel like it'd be best for Pistons just to move him if it's possible. And I know, I, like I said, there's, there's a large group of Pistons Twitter that don't agree with that. And I'm just, I'm not one of those people. That's kind of where I've gotten with him. No, I mean, I, I see that. That makes, that's a, that's not a terrible uh, comparison. Uh, ben, is there anything specifically you wanted to say before we, before we take off? No, I was, I'm just saying uh, to myself here while it was muted. Um, I, I think it's going to be important to be patient as fans. I, I think the odds of a big trade are unlikely. You know, if it happens and the Pistons, you know, land a big talent, that'd be awesome. I'd be as happy as everyone else. But uh, you know, just in terms of being a fan and being emotionally invested, we all get that way, right? So I think uh, patience is going to be key for the rest of this year, because um, to me, it just doesn't look like a team that's set up to make 
a huge splash. Uh, and expectations, I think, are important. Um, I, I think if we sort of expect the team to struggle a bit, there might be ways to find silver linings that uh, we wouldn't necessarily see if our expectations were different. So be patient, and uh, hopefully things get a little better this summer. All right, so the Pistons are 20-25. and 25. They play uh, at Washington tomorrow on Martin Luther King Day. Uh, they play at New Orleans. New Orleans will be without Anthony Davis for that game. He has like a... He messed up his pinky or something. I don't know, but he won't be playing in that game. And uh, they'll go and they'll play. They'll play at Dallas uh, later this week. Uh, ben, when uh, when we podcast this time next week, uh, how many games will they have won? Oh man! Well, first of all, thanks for mentioning MLK Day. Um, you know, we don't talk politics on this podcast because it's not a political podcast. But uh, um, there's a reason that it's a federal holiday and a national holiday, and. Uh, encourage everyone to do some reflecting um, about what MLK means, what his legacy means, uh, the progress we've made and the progress we haven't made as a society uh, since his death uh, so many years ago. Um, But really this week in terms of basketball stuff, I think you've got two winnable games or at least one winnable game against Washington, one that against New Orleans, you would want to win without Anthony Davis. And then Dallas, I don't know. Um, I just don't know what to think of them. I don't think they're particularly good. Um, but I don't know if the Pistons match up with them that well. So I- I'm going to say two and one, but one and two is just as likely. Uh, Justin, how many games do you think the Pistons win this week? I'm not sure if it's just my uh, growing negativity from how the season's gone, but I honestly don't see them winning any of those games. Um, they never play New Orleans well, even with, with Anthony Davis or without Anthony Davis. They seem to not play them well. So I don't – I mean – that's probably the most winnable game just because, I mean, in the past, Anthony Davis has torched the Pistons and they won't have him. But Washington, like, I think they're about even at this point with, with the Pistons. They've kind of turned their season around since John Wall's gotten hurt. So, I mean, they're basically – Pistons and Washington are very similar teams at this point, and it's a road game. So, I I would go with Washington for that. And then for Dallas, um, kind of – I mean, I think Dallas is another team that's kind of like the Pistons where – they're not great, but they're also not bad either. And I just don't see the Pistons have anybody to stop Luka. And I could see him having a huge game. And so, yeah, I would, I'll say 0-3, maybe 1-2 with the win over New Orleans. But, yeah, that's probably where I'm at. So, I like, I like the New Orleans game. Uh, if I remember correctly like uh last year they played new orleans in new orleans and uh davis left um like uh, halfway through because he got like injured mid-game and they were winning everything was going well and then uh, demarcus cousins who was still on the pelicans and still healthy at the time just like absolutely like went off in the fourth quarter and stan van gundy drew up the like literal worst uh sideline out of bounds play i've ever seen in my entire life to get Avery Bradley like an 18 footer to try and win that game. And it failed. And like, that was, that was the moment where I was just like, okay, I kind of can't do this anymore with Stan Um, or, or Avery Bradley for that matter. So I think, I think they hopefully win at least that game just to exercise uh, some of those demons. Um, I I don't know how Washington has played uh, better without uh, John Wall, but I think their schedule has also like eased up a bunch. Like they just, they just barely beat the Knicks in London. And like, they've, 
just barely beaten like Atlanta. And so I'm not entirely sure if they're just like better, if their schedule just got easier, which is something I hope to be able to say about the Pistons in the not too distant future. <laughs> All right. Uh, Justin, you, you shouted out your tweets uh, a bunch during the podcast. What's uh, what's your Twitter handle? What's the best place for, for people to talk to you about the Pistons? Yeah, I would definitely say Twitter. Um, that's where I'm the most active. Um, I mean, I have other social media platforms, but those are mainly just focused on like everyday life stuff. And I use Twitter for my sports takes. And basically, I talk any kind of sport, but I'm mainly focused on Pistons basketball. But yeah, my Twitter is uh, at Jalen Brexy. That's L A M B R E G T S E. Uh, if you if you have trouble spelling that, you can just find me find one of my articles on DBB, and you can see how to spell my last name but yeah like that's i, I tweet i pretty much why i tweet every single pistons game when i'm watching and i tweet about a lot of other sports like baseball and football two sports i follow pretty closely as well so i mean down to talk any kind of sports with you i usually re- reply to most people and like having conversations so yeah if you want to follow me there and we can talk any kind of sports or mainly pistons basketball yeah, I will. I, I'll help you out if you're listening to this podcast. I'll help you out, and I'll link to Justin's Twitter feed uh, in the podcast <laughs> about spelling Lambrexy. There's an L, two Gs, a couple Rs. <laughs> I got your back, Justin. I, I've been there. Uh, Lazarus is not, for whatever reason, the easiest name for people to spell. Uh, ben, what's uh, what's your Twitter feed where people can uh, can talk to you about the number two overall uh, UM basketball team? Oh, and wouldn't you know it, the first game that I really sat down and watched, they lose. So that that's just fantastic. Um, yeah. Uh, that Michigan-Michigan State game's coming up, though, so be careful how much you laugh. Um, at BR Golker on Twitter. Uh, and let me know. Um, I've got a post defending Andre Drummond in my head. I, I've been thinking about dusting off the rust and maybe writing a little bit. Um, I got into it in the comments a little bit this week because – I just feel like Andre Drummond's getting a bad rap, and I, I feel like someone needs to talk about his positive qualities. So if if writing that post is something worth worth doing, hit me up on Twitter and let me know. All right, uh, you know you have one vote here. Uh, I would love to read a uh, defensive Andre Drummond from you, Ben. Uh, hey, thanks, Laz. Uh, as for me, you can always follow me on Twitter at Laz Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will see you guys next week.